reading for today comes from Genesis chapter 29, verses 15 through 28. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, Just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. And the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpha to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is it that you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish the daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord God, as we enter into this time of meditation and reflection on your word, I pray that you would use me as an instrument of your peace and grace. And I pray that your spirit would move here in this place and in the homes of the people who are watching now, that we may receive the message you have for us. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good and his love endures forever. Amen. Now, those of you who are watching, I didn't hear you, right? I can't hear you. So I'd like to invite you to send a virtual amen at this point, to send in that amen to let us know that you're watching. Uh, Over the last couple of weeks, uh, probably since after Pentecost Sunday, the church, following the lectionary readings, has been in the book of Genesis for the Old Testament readings. And so... Most of the sermons have been coming out of that, out of that place, and we're going to continue that today. 
So last week in the reading, we were introduced to Jacob. And uh, what we learned about Jacob was that, how can I put it? He was not a very ethical person, right? He was a conniver. He was a, a con man. He was a trickster. And he was able to trick his brother not only out of his birthright, but of the blessing that should have been his as the oldest son. And as a result, his brother is angry with him and, and is, is, is out for vengeance. And, and so <laughs> Jacob's mom, Rebecca, says, son, you need to leave. You need to go hide. Go stay with my kinsman, uh, Laban, and he'll take care of you until Esau calms down and everything's hunky-dory and then you can come back. And so he does that. And, and so last week we see that he flees his home to go stay with his kinsman Laban and his family till everything blows over. And last week we, we, we read that he had a, a theophany, a dream in which he encounters God. And, and God gives him this vision. And so now Laban uh, or Jacob is, is where Laban is. He, he finally arrives, and, and he's uh, with Laban and his family. And so what we're going to talk about today is the things we do for life. The things we do for life. So as I was preparing this message, I was taken back to the, to the day that I met my wife, Diane. I met my wife back in 1988, mid-1988. She was in her early 20s. I was in my mid-20s. And I knew from the moment I laid eyes on her that she was the one for me. There was no doubt in my mind that this was the woman God had for me. I was sure of it. The problem was, Diane didn't know the same thing. She, she, she didn't see me in that way. I, I was to her that good friend. I was in the friend zone where I definitely didn't want to be. But I also didn't want to be that stalker guy, right? I didn't want to be that guy who was who is always creeping around and, and trying to win her over. So I had to begin my pursuit of her as stealth pursuit. She couldn't really know that I was pursuing her, but I, but I was going to do that. And so I did. I'll come back to that later. When I was reading the passage, I kind of related to Jacob just a little bit, just a little bit, because Jacob meets Rachel and immediately falls in love with her. This beautiful woman that he sees, and he falls in love with her. And so when Laban asked him what his wages would be or what he wanted to get paid, uh, Jacob says, I I'll work for you for your daughter. Now, this sermon is not going to address the, the, 
the vileness of, of patriarchal society, although it could, or, or the, the devaluation of, of women, and it, and it should, because Rachel and, and Leah had no say in the matter, right? And while we're not going to address that, I want to make you aware that because of the context of the time, those were the practices. Practices that continue today, practices that we need to address and talk about. But what we find out through this story in the first verses of the story is that Laban, the father of Rachel and Leah, is a trickster just like Jacob. So remember last week or the week before when we read this passage, Jacob tricks his older brother. And now Laban turns the table. This is a passage of reversal. And the tables are turned and Laban cons the con. The trickster has been tricked. So they have this wedding feast, and, and Jacob goes in with his wife and wakes up the next morning and finds out it's not the woman he was expecting. Talk about a surprise. And so he's naturally upset. What have you done to me? People at this point could say, hey, man, what goes around comes around. You tricked your brother and, and back to you, brother. But Laban says, I know, I know, but you have to understand our customs, our traditions. We can't give the younger sister before the older sister. <coughs> but if you will give me more, more time, I'll give you the younger sister. And so we would be tempted to to look at Jacob as a victim. He's really not. Because in the end, he gets what he wants, right? Now he has two wives. Uh, Those of us who are married, I don't know if we could handle that. Uh, I know I couldn't. But he gets what he wants. The other thing we notice is that from verse 15 through 28 in this passage, there is no mention of God. God is not involved in the trickery, in the con, in the schemes. He's not involved in any of that. That's happening between two men. And it isn't until verse 31 that we encounter the Lord. And I didn't read that as part of the passage, but I want to read it now. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. You see, in verse 31, we're introduced to the real victim here, to the one who's really suffering. And that's Leah. First of all, she's the victim because remember what I said at the very beginning. She had no say in what was about to happen. She had no say in whom she was going to marry. 
her father basically gave her away. And then she was given to a man who didn't actually love her. Who instead loved her sister more. Her younger sister. So Leah is is being set up for a relationship that is never going to please her or benefit her. And that's where God enters the picture. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved. And in reality, that's where God always enters the picture. God has always entered into human existence, into human lives, when people are hurting, when people are oppressed, when people are neglected and forgotten and marginalized. When we think about what, what Jacob did for love, we tend to focus on those seven years and then another seven years that he gave in service to Laban and think, wow, he really loved her. But when we look at the story of God, when we look at the stories of God, we see a love that is so profound, that is so deep, that is so rich, Nothing else compares. Think about it. Out of love, because of love, God sent his only son that whoever would believe should not perish but have eternal life. That's what the Gospel of John tells us, right? Because of love, God responded to a world that was hurting, that was aching, that was lonely, that was lost, that was neglected, that was oppressed because of love. And sends Jesus (coughs) to be the incarnate one, God in the flesh. And when we look at the story of Jesus and the impact of Jesus upon the world, It's because of love. But Jesus comes in to time and space and flips over all the apple carts and rewrites and and, and, and changes every preconceived notion that we have about love. And more importantly, about whom we should love. He starts his ministry in Matthew chapter 5 with the Sermon on the Mount, and Luke chapter 6 with the Sermon on the Plain. And listen to what Jesus says about whom should be loved. He talks about 
Blessed are the poor, the hungry, those who weep, those who are hated, those who are excluded and insulted for his name. He calls down blessing upon people who have been neglected, who have been forgotten, who have been oppressed. People who are marginalized. Nowhere in history at any time, then and now, would we say that the people Jesus called blessed are truly blessed. These are the ones he came for. And then he takes it a step further in Matthew 25 and says, blessed are those who feed the hungry, who give drink to the thirsty, who welcome the stranger, who clothe the naked, who look after the sick, and who visit with the prisoner. A new idea, a new concept. Not only on what love should look like, but on who we should be loving. It's easy to love the powerful because they have something to give. They have something to provide. Jesus is calling us to love those who have nothing to give us that we can see. Jesus steps into time and space and brings a new gospel of love. And when we ask, what would Jesus do for love. The evidence is found on Calvary. Jesus would give his all for love to those who could give nothing back. Each and every sermon that I preach comes with a question. The more you get to know me, you'll know that the questions are sometimes challenging, sometimes upsetting. But always, it's based in love. And so the question for today, the question that I'd like for each of us to deal with, each of us to wrestle with, is what will we do to love like Jesus? What will we do to love like Jesus? You know, every Sunday, we pray the Shema. It's a beautiful prayer. 
And it reminds us that we have to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. But the danger for me in, 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 in praying that prayer is that it, for me, it becomes a recitation, something that I recite. It can never become something that we just recite. It must become something that we proclaim. It becomes a proclamation that we prayer, that we pray. In such a way that, that when we pray it and we lift up our pinky, knowing that there's, uh, reminding us that there's more power in the tip of God's finger than of all creation, it, it, it reminds us that as I pray this, I'm saying, I will love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my strength, and with all that it was in me. <coughs> I will love my neighbor as myself. It becomes my proclamation each and every day. And I remind myself that I can't do it by myself. That's why I lift up my pinky to remind me that it's the power of God that allows me to love God and to love others. If I try to love on my own, I will fail each and every time. But when I allow God to fill me and move me, then I'm able to love those that I thought I couldn't love. I'm able to love those that are in the shadows. I'm able to love those that are forgotten. I'm able to love those that are oppressed. I'm able to love those that are marginalized in ways I could never love on my own. But through the power of God, all things become possible. want you to wrestle with that question today. What will I do to love others? What will I do to love those who are hard to love? And then I want to invite you to send me an email. If you don't have my email address, you can go to the website under Outreach. At the very bottom, there's a, a page you can fill out to send it in. And I want you to tell me what, what you've wrestled with and how you're going to love others. How you're going to ask God to help you to love others. Love others. And the point of the email is so that, one, I can be in prayer with you. Two, if there are ways that I can help you do that, I'd love to. And three, I just want to get to know you better. I want to hear your story. What you're struggling with. And how we can grow together as a church family as we reach out to the world around. 
Now, I don't want to leave you hanging. Two and a half years after I saw Diane for the first time, the lights went on. And she said, hey, he's kind of cute. Now, granted, there's much more of me to love than there was back in 1988. And then two and a half years after that, we got married at Pollard Memorial United Methodist Church here in San Antonio. This past June, we celebrated our 27th wedding anniversary. And the things we've done for love at times have been crazy. But we've been blessed by love. Because God has been leading us this entire way. What will you do for love? Let us pray. Lord God, we just come to you right now, God of love. We live in a time where there's so much hate. There's so much division. There's so much political polarization that it seems we've forgotten how to love. You see, we're not called, oh God, you have not called us to think exactly the same. That would be boring. But you have called us to love each other, to love one another, to love our neighbor. In fact, you have called us to even love our enemies. And we know, oh God, that that we can't do that on our own. Absolutely Without a shadow of a doubt, we cannot love our enemies. We can barely love our neighbors without your help. And so we call out to you, O God, recognizing that there's more power on the tip of your pinky to help us love. to help us love the way you love. To respond with love. We've seen what hate can do. We've seen what evil does. Help us to love. To love each other. To love the other. Help us to love like you love. Praise you and we thank you, O God, for this message of love that you bring. And it's in your son's name that we lift up this 